Hi, Sunshine. I'm Natasha, your host of the Shine Online podcast and the CEO at Shine with Natasha, where I specialize in Instagram strategy and video storytelling. In this conversational podcast, I interview the brightest entrepreneurs I know and share my best Instagram strategies with the goal of empowering you to do business in a way that feels real to you. These conversations will bring you no fluff advice, honest conversations, and actionable strategies to help you shine online. There are so many bright brands in the online world, but there's always room for one more. Let's shine together. Today's episode is brought to you by my brand new program, the Instagram Confidence Accelerator. This is for business owners that want to show up consistently on Instagram and grow their brand, see real results in their business. And if you've ever felt overwhelmed or in that constant cycle of content burnout, this program will help you leave confident in your content strategy. It is a 10 week live program that is kicking off February 28th, which includes live calls, support from me and my team, along with a community to really help you see success. A few of my favorite elements is my framework where I really break down the strategy you need, including your profile, your content pillars. We then break down all the mindset blocks you might be having around Instagram and get right into content creation for video and all different types of visuals. We will then end things off with a challenge, a seven day content challenge with three different tracks to help you really implement all the new things you're learning in the program. So if this sounds like the perfect fit for you, be sure to check it out in the show notes at shinewithnatasha.com slash accelerator. And if it's too late and the doors are closed on February 18th, you can join the waitlist for the next cohort. Hope to see you inside. Thank you for joining me today, Shannon. I'm so excited to like geek out about like marketing and Instagram and content, all the things. Me too. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I know you're going to ask like such nitty gritty questions for an audience that knows their stuff. So I'm stoked to dive into the deep end. Oh yeah. We're going to dive in. And I really did want to start out actually asking how did you become such a marketing whiz? Because I don't even know, like, who was the Shannon before Social Bungalow? Like, can you kind of give us a little glimpse of that? Yeah. Um, so I was in corporate marketing and that was 10 years prior to starting the business. It kind of fell into my lap. Initially, I wanted to be an actress. And so I was going to theater school and doing all that fun stuff. Family friends started an agency, needed a social media person. Um, I was good, you know, just as a user. And I was like, sure, let me do this. It's better than whatever, you know, job I'm doing to make the ends meet. And um, just kind of fell in love with everything and started with social, but then sponged up SEO and just some different digital tactics. And then from there, it was kind of like a company hopping mission to the top over the next decade. And I had a lot of fun in a lot of different industries. I went and got certifications, went back to school for it all that good stuff. Um, and so then I took it into the online space, just realizing one day where that quiet voice is like, you can do this. This is a very remote oriented skill set. And you're like, no, I don't know. That's a lot. I don't want to find clients and prospects. Let me just take my paycheck. It, I don't know. I just like one day I woke up and I was ready for it. So when I went that way, 
it was really, first and foremost, a lot of the way that I was doing things was very corporate or it was very huge company, big brand. And I was trying to do it for individual female entrepreneurs because I picked that as my main audience, my main niche. And it took me probably about six months to kind of realize the transferability and start flexing the muscles in a way that's very Instagram oriented and one-to-one and community driven. And once that a like pocket was allowed for me, that was kind of where I just felt like a dog with a bone to kind of take all of this knowledge and bring it into an industry that I felt was a little bit of the wild west and how we were structuring our businesses, giving ourselves profit margins, paying ourselves and marketing ourselves. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And I think it's been so fun seeing you branch out from not only how you serve your clients and your students, but then bungalow coffee, huge. What did that really look like behind the scenes? Cause I'm like, how are you running everything so seamlessly, like killing it in your business? And then like starting a whole new thing, like, did it surprise you that it was easy, hard? Like, what did you love the most? Like, what does it kind of look like now? Yeah, I know that the coffee shop is my pride and joy. Um, we, my husband and I always wanted to open a coffee shop in general, like one of those first dates, what do you want to be when you grow up kind of thing? Yeah. We both love coffee. So this was a real passion project. And as the social bungalow took off and had a community around it, he came to me one day and said, what if we made that one day coffee shop bungalow themed and it became a physical embodiment of the digital brand? And when he said that, I was like, who I already found a spot we're in. Yeah. So um, the process was we actually purchased an existing coffee shop that went out of business, unfortunately, due to the pandemic. So we were able to come into some equipment, a space that was already modeled for coffee. And so that's mm. like really intense water systems and not needing a huge kitchen and all that stuff. Purchased that, remodeled, signed a new lease. And then from moment of assuming the building to open was six months. And that was definitely a lot of hustle, but it was a different sort of hustle than if you were, you know, going through a demo project and figuring it out from scratch. So I was really grateful for that kind of leg up. Um, and yeah, it's been hard, but it's been really cool to learn a completely new industry and being digital for so long, going physical and brick and mortar. There's actually a huge amount of peace that, and fulfillment that I feel with the lack of responsibility. <laughs> and I mean that in a way of, I can give you a stellar cup of coffee that is of course, ethically sourced and perfectly handcrafted. So all the responsibility there, but it's just a, it's just a cup of coffee. It's just a piece of toast and it really makes your day. Whereas in our online space, we do have a lot of responsibility with the content that we're bringing in the way that we're being inclusive and the way that we're supporting people and their entire hopes, wishes, and dreams for typically kind of high ticket numbers. And that difference between being on and just bringing a cup of coffee has been so deeply rewarding on both ends that it's helped me kind of express a different side of myself. And that's been hard to answer your question, but it has been so much more exciting that it's kind of kept me like in this childlike visionary chasing more space. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. I feel like I would have never thought that would be like the takeaway, but that's really special. And now that you're like in the brick and mortar space, Like, do you think there's something that those type of business owners can kind of learn from the online world? Because I often hear all the time in my DMs, like I have a physical product or I have a brick and mortar shop. And I feel like those things don't apply to me. I'm not an influencer. I'm not a service provider. I'm not a personal brand, but I often feel like they can somewhat transfer, but also be different. What is your take on that? I completely agree. And I get that a lot of times too, on the social bungalow side where somebody will say, I see your course and I see you talk to coaches and service pros, but I have an e-com shop. Can I do this Instagram tactic? And the answer is 100%. I'm just using the word client versus customer, but it's the same Mm -hmm. strategy that applies. And with a brick and mortar, a lot of it is very much rooted in the city that you're in versus it being so global or even just domestic across your country in 
you know, being able to talk to anybody and everybody at any point. But the same thing, like if you're going to, let's just say, have some ad budget money, you're going to run it to somebody that lives up the street to come into the local coffee shop versus somebody that's potentially in a state or two over that has a similar interest. It's the same strategy. It's just different audience, different targeting. So yeah, I would say it's, it's same, same. Totally. I agree. And I want to talk a little bit about product suites now, because that's kind of how we connected. You supported me so much with my product suite. And I feel like you've just like nailed yours down. And that's like one of your sweet spots. And I feel like it's like the start of then like content and funnels and launching. It's like the start of it to then like build that. So I'd love to hear your philosophy on like, are there elements that you think should be in most product suites, especially thinking of online business owners, maybe they have services, maybe they want to branch into physical products. Do you think it's kind of like a formula that could be custom to anyone? Um, so kind of walk me through your philosophy there. Totally. Yeah. Great question. I really feel strongly about having some semblance of a value ladder. And with that, having something that gets somebody in at the entry point, and you of course can over deliver and have it be wonderful, not over deliver to the point of overwhelm, but just making sure that somebody says, wow, I only spent $27 for this swipe file. And it really did the ROI. I made, you know, $200. It's been immense. It's been wonderful. And then from there, when you solve that very specific need, you're able to move them onto the next rung and the next rung in that ladder. And that's another product that's then another product with another purpose. And maybe if you have an e-com arm in your business, it also includes the physical, like it's the journal that now comes with it. And you can just play around with what gets bundled together. But the thing with the value ladder is that at every next rung, you need A, an increase in price and be a very specific focus for every one of those rungs. Because otherwise what ends up happening is that you're competing against yourself with your own offers and the consumer very interested. Let's say they find you on Instagram, they consume your content, they toggle over to the shop page. And when they get there, they see four different offers all within $50 of each other, not too much higher, not too much lower. So that immediately can't help them diversify what's the more advanced and what's not. And then they all kind of like they have different purposes, but they all have sort of the same little touch to them. They, they're not as close to it as we are. And so they really can't tell what's the right choice for them. So it needs to be declaratively its own subject matter and its own price point, and then move up a decent chunk to the next point, the next point. And this applies, whether it is a course, a product, and then products can increase with bundling or if it's a service. And so that can be, let's talk high ticket, just your website, your, just your brand and your website and your brand on and on and on. And I find a lot of times in the online space, people are, things are so rapid, trends come and go, people talk very quickly in the DMs about what they do or don't need. And so you've got access, unlike many industries at your fingertips. And so people act on that access, which is smart to a point, but not in a way where it impacts your entire business model, where you're just whipping and throwing together offers based off of a whim of a DM that you saw based mm -hmm. on a poll that you put on stories, et cetera. And I think we don't think about it. Um, it's kind of like those viral memes you see where it's like, stop saying my little business and start saying I'm the CEO of a company. And it's very much so that same mindset shift, I think, where people are thinking about their business too small because when you're shape-shifting or rapidly creating and it's not necessarily on purpose, offers, that is your business model when you're an online-based business, is your offer that you sell directly to a consumer that impacts their lives and their impact. And so we are just rapid fire changing our business model. And it's really hard to get traction and then scale, which is the universal goal, if we're not streamlined and focused. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. It's so easy to get like that shiny object syndrome of like, oh, well now I need to make this for that. Or I need to customize this for this person. When really you're owning all the different elements of your product suite, that's how you build awareness for each, every component mm-hmm. and you continue can grow it. So I love that you mentioned that. I want to talk about the pricing part of things. I think this is where people struggle of like, when do I increase my pricing? How different should my pricing be? What goes into figuring that out? It is, is it the hours? Is it the value? Is it what my competitor has? So let's break down pricing a little bit for that product suite. Cool. Totally. I like to start by establishing an hourly, not because you're going to say it publicly per se, unless that's your service-based industry, but mostly so that we can use it as a base level to figure out what our package is going to be. So if you start by giving yourself an hourly, and this has to be a little bit of competitive market understanding, as well as just kind of a gut check of what's going to make sense for you, give yourself that number to start with, and then you can tweak it from there. Don't let that paralyze you. Let's say it's 70 bucks an hour. You know that. And now we want to start looking at how many hours is it going to take for you to actually do the work for the package. Now let's add on some hours for marketing and onboarding and offboarding all those little pieces in order to make the sale and do the thing. Let's say we're at 50 hours, 50 hours times $70 is this much money. Now we want to give ourselves a profit margin. And that's one of the number one discrepancies that I see in the online space because we have such low overhead, which is wonderful. But because we don't have a physical rent to pay and we don't have a huge electric bill, it's just typically a home office electric bill that we're then expensing. So you're like, well, I'm really in the green (laughs) is being able to say, I understand that my time is my overhead because I don't have a lot of physical hard costs. Mm -hmm. So then saying, I want a 20% profit margin, a 30% and a 40%. I'm going to move up to 40% over the span of six months, but I'm going to start conservative so that I can get market fit and really make sure that there's a demand for this offer that I'm thinking is a great fit. Blah. So if we have $70 per hour times 50 hours times, let's say a 25% profit margin, that gives us this base price for this base package. Look at that number. How does that number fit? How does it feel? Is it similar to what you saw on the market? Less, more? What, how big is that discrepancy? And then once you know that number, kind of put it over here for that package and start again with the other pieces in your value ladder, even if it's just two or three items that you know you'd like to sell to start. And we want to make sure that we see that increase. It's sort of that third bear rule too. If we start with three pieces to say one's too low, one's too high, the middle one is just right. And that can be any of them for your audience member, depending on where their need is. They all have specific purposes, specific price points, and the person's going to be able to come to this and see which one's right for them. And then it's going to feel good to me because I'm able to hit capacity if that's the way that I'm structuring my business in more of a one-to-one or a group program style. I'm able to hit capacity and feel really good about these numbers because I have profit woven into it. And I don't feel like I'm working a crazy amount of hours because I undersold myself or I just didn't know where to start selling from. Right. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure that's going to be so helpful for everyone listening. And I, I love how you mentioned this concept of scaling. Like that's always like that big picture goal for a lot of entrepreneurs. They're like, I want to scale. And I think that can look different for so many people. What do you think are things that people should consider once they realize they're having that momentum to like, okay, this needs to become bigger. This isn't just me anymore. I need to start having some more infrastructure. I need to start building a team. I mean, you've scaled to a million dollar business and that feels so like 
beyond like the horizon for so many people. So I'd love to hear like what that scaling journey really can look like. And I also remember you, your, a post that you posted the other day that totally resonated with me. I was like, Oh my gosh, she made that for me of like that scaling is often like really hard. Like there's a lot of struggles that come with that. I think people assume scaling becomes easier. Like you got it. And you're just like running off on the races, but it can be really difficult too. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So well said. And it's if like more money, more problems, new level, new devil. I don't love those because they kind of put a negative connotation with it, but it yeah. is true in the heart of the matter. And it's, you have such a luxury when you're smaller to be able to go so deep with so many of such a large percentage of your audience. And if you have 3000 followers, right. you typically know 2000 of them. And the beauty of that and the ease of selling and creation and making sure that everything is so niche specific and needed really allows for you to operate from mastery, which is beautiful. And the bigger things get, the wider your wingspan has to be. And of course the wingspan of others, then that join your team. And you're not only caring for the audience that turns into then a consumer slash client, you're caring for the people on your team and the, the ripple effect gets massive. And so the the stretch thinness that comes from it is beautiful, but it is just a lot. So um, I wanted to circle back though, because I forgot to answer how to know when to increase your prices. And I think mm. it goes hand in hand with the scaling. Yeah. So with that, what I typically say, it's kind of like when you um, need to get your oil changed where they're like 3000 miles or three months, like whichever one you hit first. And then of course it's like six months and 10,000 miles. Right. And then your dad's <laughs> like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> but if we do it the right way, we either want to look at time or we want to look at amount of clients, depending on which one you want to set yourself up for and, or do both of them. So I would say you establish your pricing and you know that within three months or 10 clients, whichever comes first, you want to increase to the next pricing and the next pricing. And I always say, do it in a three phase approach typically built off of that profit mark. So if you feel good with a 20% profit increase to start and you say, by the time I hit 10 clients at this price, then I'm going up to the 20, what did I say? 20, 10, (laughs) then I'm going up to the 30%, then I'm going up to the 40%. And that's by 10 client increments, or it's by three month increments and whatever that looks like, set it out for yourself now so that you can project and say in six months, when I have a 40% profit margin, and at that point I should have had 25 clients at this, I'm going to stop live selling it. And I'm also then going to take it evergreen. And so not only is it my price, it's my time and my time freedom around how I sell and then how I facilitate map that out for yourself for your year. Cause it'll feel good. And I know it's, it's one thing to say map it. And it's another thing to be able to have a cheat sheet in front of you to know what to right. do and when, but if you could start here, I think that'll be super helpful for you listening. And then as far as once you're there and you start to scale, scaling a lot of times is in my marketing world, it's two main schools, it's traffic amount and conversion amount. So if you, I like to start with conversion amount increasing. If you're doing something that is one-on-one style, you want your conversion rate to be higher. So you're typically, let's say doing sales call, or you have an evergreen funnel that presents the application and then says, congrats, let's onboard. That should get you up to, let's say you're at 40 or 50%, you should get up to 70 or 80%. Get that in conversion rate up to where you're happy with it. And then you can turn on more traffic and start running that faster. If it's not one-on-one work and it's more e-com or it's more course style pieces, you want your evergreen funnel to go to from three to 5% conversion rate to eight to 10%. And when you hit that, then you know to turn on the faucet. So conversion rate is increased first. And we get to that point by not only having time and tenure with the product in the space and your authority and all those pieces, but also by troubleshooting within our sales process. If we're noticing that, let's say an email just for some reason has really low open rates, start by changing the subject line, give it a week. That doesn't work, change the body copy. That doesn't work, 
make sure it's not sending too close on the heels of the previous email because you might be overwhelming your subscribers. You get to the point where that email skyrockets, its open rate is back up, that's going to increase conversion, so on and so forth. So kind of a belabored process, but give yourself a quarter to increase conversion rate. And then we come over to the traffic perspective and say, all right, I know that if I, if I do paid ads, $1 is turning into $3. So I can very succinctly budget for paid ads. And I know that my funnel is going to do the heavy lifting or my sales calls are on lock. I want to make sure that my organic is really looping in a smart way with a lot of the Instagram features, which we can talk to talk about. And so that if I put all of this concerted time and energy into my organic, which almost everybody listening to this is, that's your main focus. I want to know that it's going to come to a place that's going to convert for me because right now, what everybody is really focused on. And I say right now, kind of as like a catch all, if you're not focused on conversion, you're focused on traffic. And that's what most, most of us are we're focused on bringing more people to a pipeline that's not actually selling or that we don't have the bandwidth to be able to sell for. So let's say you do it, you get all the traffic, you go viral, people come through. You're only one person, even if you're bomb at your sales calls, uh, bomb in a good way. You're only one person who has a funnel that's only performing at 3% or no funnel. And so there's all of these pieces that's very chicken or egg in an online business when we're wearing all the hats. And I feel very strongly about incremental increases in your prices, operating for mastery with an offer suite that has specific purposes. And then from there, being able to create a funnel that helps you sell. It's like another team member for you, optimizing your conversion rate and then turning on your traffic. And those brass tax pieces are the very thin, as I'm just saying it in a podcast way to really scale your business in a, a way that's going to be sustainable for you. And that doesn't mean every day is going to be sunshine and roses. Like we said, new growth brings crazy stuff, but in the crazy stuff, you will be able to breathe through it and have systems and not feel like the world is crumbling around you if you do it in that way. Absolutely. And I think that brings in like the sustainability factor of scaling is that you kind of can't skip over a step to get to the next step. Like you really do have to like follow that whole process, that whole ladder, because you need the pieces to support each other. And I love how you said the viral aspect of, I think with reels, it's really brought up this desire of like wanting more eyeballs on your account to get all these new followers and all these new views. But like, what happens when you actually get the traffic? Like, do they know where they're going? Do you have all those funnels and systems set up? So I love how you mentioned that because I think scaling can sometimes sometimes happen really fast or some kind happen a little slower, like over years and years and years, but every step is really the same to make sure that it's not just, you know, a, a short-term thing that you really can continue to scale and maintain it long-term. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I think we're, we're also, if we take away just like the, the traffic and the attention kind of conversation, we're also very focused on impact. We have this huge selfless part of our, all of ourselves where we're very focused on I have now seen that my skill set can change someone's life. And who am I to keep this small? I need to be able to help as many people as I can. And you will hit bandwidth. You will burn out if you don't have this back end to support you. And so even if it is the most wholesome, altruistic goal, it still needs to be done in a way where you're making more money and you're doing it through helping fewer people because the depth by which you can serve them is going to be so much more impactful than taking a shallow scoop out of a huge amount of audience members until you get to the point of having that support. 
Right. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about content because I think a lot of times we see people that get to this like really big stage and we, we often feel like as consumers that we're disconnected from them in their, in their content and you're the complete opposite where I feel like whether it's in your Facebook group or on Instagram, no matter where people are touching base with you, they're constantly being served and poured into. So what are you thinking about when you're creating that content super intentionally to like pour into your audience and truly nurture them, even when there's a lot of other things going on and a lot of other team members in the pod. Yeah. Um, I try to write like I talk and if somebody helps me even just flesh out a caption it, and I read it and it feels kind of long form, I will rewrite it in a way as if I'm just explaining it to you here. And I think that helps not only the understanding when you're just reading a long form caption, it's like a micro blog, but it also creates that level of closeness. So writing like you speak, even if you do speak quite eloquently and it could look like something, you know, <laughs> an MLA format essay submitted in college, even if that's <laughs> how you write, write like you talk. But as far as creation of the topics that are going to have that mind reader effect or feels like, oh man, I needed that right now. And now that you've hit me and impacted me, you're transcending into my life beyond Instagram. I get off the app and I'm walking around the grocery store and I'm thinking about what you said. That's the goal because that's when somebody's coming back to us time and time again to the point of purchase. And so with that, I'm always listening. I'm in the DMs. I stay there no matter how big the business gets. I am still connecting with the consumer every day on social media. But besides that, I like to sit down and use content pillars to brain dump out topics that are timely and to my expertise and also speak as a through line to what I sell. And when I get all of these big, messy topics out on the table, usually kind of mind map style, I'll do it like a nesting doll where there's one main topic, which I explain with three micro topics and then three mini topics. And then I get to these really niche specific points. I'll take those niche points and say, what makes the most sense for Instagram post, Instagram story, Facebook group, and email list. And I like to just focus on those main platforms. And then from there, my main strategy has always been to have separate exclusive content per platform instead of repurposing per platform. And I think that is still a great strategy. It's just not my strategy. So if you're repurposing, know that it's it has legs and I'm not poo-poo it. But instead for me, I really like to, as kind of one of my brand isms or stakes in the ground say, if you give me your time on all of these platforms, I'm going to make it worth your while. You will never see an email from me and then a post and know, oh, I can delete the email because I read your post this morning and it's going to be the same thing. And a lot of times your consumer doesn't have a negative connotation to not opening your email. They're just trying to get to inbox zero and they know that they've already consumed your content this morning. So instead, um, kind of training that audience to know there's always something fresh. Once I have it mapped out per platform, which is hugely based off of if it's something I need to explain verbally or if it's something I can write, I'll then find a way with all the topics and the timing in front of me to weave them together. And I call it content looping. So if my Instagram post has something that the story sort of expounds on, I'll reference the story in the post. And then on the story, I'll say, by the way, I'm doing a training on this in the Facebook group on Thursday. It's on this other topic, but still applies. And then in the Facebook group, I'll say, if you're not on the email list, every Tuesday, I send out a bonus tip and it's on the same topic, like let's say Instagram marketing. So even though they're different slices, they're the same pie and it gets everybody on every platform. And what that also does separate from deeply serving them is gets it to the point where 
the expertise or the authority that I want to hold in order to invest in one of my programs is being a marketing expert, is helping you with online business structure. And so I'm sort of putting these blinders on you at the time of consuming so that if there's somebody who does exactly what I do and you're toying between the both of us or all six of us, you're able, if we're a good fit and you agree with what I have to say, we're able to see that we're best fit because I'm putting those blinders on you through all this different content that you keep. It's just very sticky. And so through the closeness factor, you then apply just an authenticity to it of talking like, and the word authentic tweaks me out. I'm like, how do you stay like be trying to be authentic is the most inauthentic thing for me. And it like, right. I, I'll spiral. I'll just overthink it to death. And so what I ultimately know that means for me is just if it comes in my head and that's how I would say it to you, to a friend, that's how I would do it. If I had to write something quickly out, that's how I'm going to, to keep it. I'm going to make sure that it's understandable and you know, it, it keeps to my brand values and all that good stuff, but I'm just going to let it rock and roll because overthinking it is inauthentic for me and it's going to make it to where um, I'm not thinking to get strategic. I'm thinking in paralyzing. So I just like to pump and go. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people go through that overthinking spiral. And even more importantly, I love how you mentioned micro content because I think often us business owners, we have tons of really great ideas, but then we think we're running out when really it's about like deep diving into that big idea, into a lot of different ideas and really letting that go across all your marketing channels. So I love how you took us behind the scenes of how you do that, because I think it's not that it makes like creating content easier, but it makes it kind of simpler and it makes a lot more sense that way while also serving your audience in all the touch points that you have them. So I love that you shared that. Thanks. Yeah. I think it also just really helps for creation. So you don't feel like writer's block or you've said everything there is to say, which I'm sure so many of your audience members who are so content heavy really do. They're like, how can I say this another way? And I I usually give the example of um, somebody that's in like the life coach space, the mindset space. If you were to put out a piece of content that was um, top three tips for a successful morning routine, number one, journaling, number two, meditation, number three, breath work that just kind of blew the whole load right then and there. What else are you going to say? You could write a novel about those three pieces, but now you're feeling like you're tapped out. And instead, if you just take the breathwork category and you start saying, all right, how do I explain um, breathwork in the morning in three main points? Let's say one of those points is how to quiet the mind. Then I take that quiet the mind piece and I say, all right, well, what do most people deal with? Number one, they're either overthinking and judging themselves with an inner critic, or they're having like to-do lists, running scrolls that keep popping up and they don't know how to quiet it. How would I explain this to them? So for the to-do list person, I'm going to tell them that that's okay. Actually, I'm going to give them a permission slip to know that if you have a crazy to-do list running, it's either bless and release it and let it go so that you can focus on more. Or maybe that's something that's trying, your brain is trying to tell you, guess what? You're about to miss something important. And now that you've quieted your mind, I'm trying to bring it to the forefront. And so now that I know I want somebody to know this, I'm going to go to Etsy and find a permission slip pad. And I'm going to write out all of these different common inner critic or common to-do list breath work morning routine pieces, take a bunch of pictures, post it as a carousel and say permission granted to have a bit of a crazy mind in the morning when you're, you're still doing it right. Somebody who sees that is going to say, holy smokes, I've always just been judging myself and thinking I'm not good enough to do this morning routine. I'm not woke enough. I can't do it. And now that I've seen that I have permission and this is normal and the comment thread of people who like this public outcry of, yes, I needed this validation makes me know this is my community. These are my people. This is the program and you're my expert. Whereas prior, what we did was top three tips and one of them was breath work. And they're like, cool, not, I can't do it. 
Yeah, totally. I, I think it's like really diving deep versus trying to like touch all the buckets at once. Um, I think it's just, it, it really does make your content more truly valuable, which I know can be such a buzzword, but it's really what you're doing when you're diving a little bit deeper. And of course I'm an Instagram nerd. So we have to talk about Instagram marketing tactics. And there's specifically two that I think you use so well that I feel like not enough people are using yet. And with like a whole new year, a month us, we're in the past now. You guys are in the 2022 future. Um, I feel like close friends and guides. I've always been a guides junkie. I think they're one of the coolest features, but everyone's like, they don't grow your account, which I'm sure you'll, you'll have some thoughts on, but let me know your thoughts behind guides and close friends. Cause I think you're a wizard at both of them. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. And they're kind of these like second fiddle, like stepchild features when we're also focused on reels and whatnot, but really they're community drivers and well, okay. So let me first just start with close friends because I totally hear you on the guides conversation. Close (laughs) friends is even though it's private, it is something that can really help grow your Instagram because what happens is that the algorithm doesn't know the difference of main, main story and close friend story when it comes to giving you credence in the feed. It just sees that people are rapidly viewing your story the moment that it goes live and that everybody who can watch it is watching it. And if you do that through your close friends list, where we're all enticed when we see the green circle versus the pink circle, that helps you curate a higher watch count. If you think about it from a percentage perspective. So say you have 400 people on close friends and 370 always watch it versus you have 2000 followers and 200 people watch your, the percentage you know, disparagement is huge. And that really helps you in the algorithm. So your main story gets served more, which is going to help you ultimately across the board. Now, as far as content that you're pumping out on your close friends list, it's a really awesome way to be a little bit more quote unquote authentic and be behind the scenes and give them this extra special little something, something. So they feel close and they feel like they're getting access to it, share more personally there than you might on your main feed. And so they're bonding and they feel like you're their person and that they have this extra exclusivity. So it helps psychologically, but from a sales perspective, it's really cool when you're able to kind of do this gamification effect with your close friend story. And I always talk about it kind of like an exclusive after party for your main feed. So if you were doing a challenge or a workshop series, if you were doing even just a post series, something that's public, good content's pumping out. And you say, I'm going to go to my close friends list after this and give a bonus tip, or I'm going to answer every question submitted in great detail, or even I'm going to give my unbridled thoughts on how I felt that that workshop went or some of the questions that were asked. And everybody, even if it's all positive, everybody always wants the tea. (laughs) There's that exclusivity again, kind of treating it almost like people do with podcasts and then Patreons. And so you have access without needing a whole separate app or a, you know a whole process where people are needing to pay to get access to your exclusive thoughts. You have this safer space to be able to really deeply lean into that. And then using it also with your uh, content looping, like we talked about, where if one piece of content is on main story and the other is on close friends, and then of course you drop that subtle hint on main, I'm going to expound with X, Y, and Z on my close friends. If you want to join that, just shoot me a DM that's getting you then not only more close friends, but a ton of responses to your story, which is telling the algorithm, look how sexy this person's stories are. As far as guides go, it's just an awesome opportunity to get organized. And even though it's not, the guides aren't yet being served in the explore page or what have you, what happens? Well, I mean, they could, because what happens is you're organizing all of your funnel content and that's what I'm doing. So I've got like a bunch of funnel posts and I'm putting them into one main guide. So if you really want to learn how to build a funnel, come and consume these 
top seven juiciest pieces that are in chronological order and really going to help you understand how to do this instead of sifting through my entire feed, which is just pictures of me and you have no idea which one is what. And so as you're consuming and going through them, if one of them ends up being super important to you, you comment on it, somebody else comments on it, somebody else comments on it because it's starting to get served in their newsfeed again, that could go on the explore page. You could get retrending for the hashtag that you used on that post initially and or for that person who's able to find your content in an organized way, they're ready to convert as well. Definitely. I feel like guides really serve the binging Instagram user, which is most Instagram users and along with close friends too. And I feel like when people shift how they think of Instagram is that like, you're not always trying to grow and get more eyeballs, but like, how can you really serve the people you have even deeper and truly build that community? I feel like it really changes the game on how you actually get engagement on your content. And I can even imagine with this close friend strategy that you mentioned, it also probably really boosts retention because your close friends, people are not only watching the regular stories, but they're going through the close friends and they're going to the end. Yes, completely. I've had a few people who have messaged and said, Hey, my friend, so-and-so like, you don't know me from Adam. And I just started following you today, but my friend, so-and-so said that you've got a great close friend story. Can I join? I'm like, hello, welcome. Sure. This is what I talk about over there. And it just ends up being instead of exclusively, this person has great content, you should follow them. And then the person who receives that in the DMS is like, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually being told somebody has a really great exclusive story. You should message them. It just, all of us, we can't help it. <laughs> like yeah. tell me, get me on the inside. Oh yeah. I feel, I feel like the exclusivity part of it, it's like, it's not even something that like you can like sign up for a freebie really quick and get whatever it is. Like there's kind of this, like this opting in like through a story and like, you're getting this like secret passage to Narnia or something like that's what I feel like it feels like and I feel like in 2022 I feel like it's definitely still one of the places to like truly leverage in your strategy especially with stories views dipping for a lot of people Mm -hmm. yeah I know that's been very weird right now and I think it's hugely just a part of them trying to retool the algorithm for video and for real and all of that like and it's painful in the process because what's happening, even if it's not malicious intent to serve those other features, and it's just the way that the tech has worked on Instagram's yeah. part, is it really is diminishing opportunity. If somebody typically is getting 800 story views and they're down to 200 and nothing has changed and they've only been pumping out great content, right. it's extraordinarily frustrating, but it just shows you like the app is ever changing. And so we always want to be doing the new features, doing them as strategically and as intimately for our audience as we can, and then making sure we have those alternate platforms too. Definitely. I want to talk a little bit about funnels, evergreen funnels and live launching before we wrap things up. I'm sure we could literally cover a whole episode on it, which I'm sure people will be requesting in our DMS, (laughs) but when it comes to evergreen funnels and live launching, which I know we've already talked a little bit about today, what is your thought process when it comes to, I guess, subscribing or prescribing one or the other for different online businesses? Does it depend on what you're offering? Does it depend on that journey we talked about of where you're at and beginning or scaling, or can you have a little bit of both, which I know you have in your own business? Yeah, I definitely recommend a little bit of both always, even though a lot of times people think, okay, I'm just going to be live launching until like some magic drops from the sky and tells me, okay, you can evergreen now and you never have to lift another finger. 
And it's not like that, even though there can be an iota of it. So what I suggest is with a new offer, no matter if it's self-study, e-com or high ticket one-on-one is to go for a live launch first. And that can expand and collapse dependent on how many spots you want to sell. So if it's a volume game, because it's a course and you want as many people as can to purchase, you want something like a 60 day ramp up period of really catering your content and doing a launch event, like a challenge and having an opt-in freebie and nurture emails and all these things that lead up to one exciting open cart week with a discount. Whereas if it's something that is lower ticket, so it's such a no-brainer purchase and you're still playing volume game, or it's something higher ticket where you have a capacity, you can only take in 12 people for your mastermind. You can have a smaller time frame because you're going to be doing a lot of private inviting, or you're going to be able to just very quickly talk about it and your plugged in audience will see it. So live launch can be as long or as short as you want it in the ramp up, but typically your open cart is one week up to 21 days, depending on if you need to do sales calls and enrollments. There isn't a huge difference between live launching and evergreening, except for the fact of you campaigning publicly, because these, the actual mechanics of both are the same. You need a funnel, you need an evergreen system which is I have a free resource that somebody gave me their email for that was on my opt-in page. They hit a thank you page and now they're getting my delivery emails. The freebie comes to them via email. I follow up with them with nurture content. I maybe shoot them some other um, Instagram posts to consume. I invite them to my Facebook group. I invite them to my workshop. Through this process, I then present them with the offer because they've now been, I've operated from empathy in the process to know when they're ready to be presented this because we never want to just come with an offer out of the gate. And now that I've presented it, I'm giving them some sort of a time trigger so that there's urgency within an evergreen funnel. There needs to still be some semblance of urgency, especially if the offer is available publicly on your website. And the only thing that they're getting is maybe $125 worth of savings. That's nothing to turn our nose up at, but we have all been in the, that's not important enough to me. I've now forgotten about it. Shoot instance. And so with that, you say, not only is this a coupon, but it expires in three days. So they purchase your program, they apply for your program. And then from there, you're able to onboard and facilitate. That's an evergreen funnel where with a live launch, you have all of those same pieces, but instead of saying, here's your coupon, go ahead and buy now you're saying now, great. I've gotten you really ready to buy. I just need you to hold your breath for about two weeks until the cart opens. And then you'll buy at that point. Same thing. But the disparagement I see is that the real-time effort of campaigning for live launching gets this bad rap for being exhaustive and you get this launch hangover, but you are still doing the same amount of emails and the same, you know, it's all the same in, in the base structure of it. So all of that soapbox to say, I think that you should live launch publicly campaign your offer one, two, three times prior to quote unquote, taking it evergreen, because what ends up happening is you're getting product awareness in the market by publicly speaking about it with such fervency. You're doing all of those little tactics of showing social proof and exclusivity, inclusivity, all these tiny little things along the way that are getting people aware. You're getting testimonials because you're able to take in the largest amount of individuals. You're getting a cash infusion, which is very helpful for projecting into the future and goals. And then also sewing back into that same program with paid ads. Now that you've done this piece, you're also getting invaluable data on the program itself because you have this huge onslaught of students at once that are going through kind of as one cohort, even if it's a course, and you're able to see where they got confused, where their progress stopped, where they needed an additional call or material, and you're able to make the program better for the next launch, make the program better for the next launch. And then also you're not only doing it for the offer and for the student, but you're doing it 
for your future funnel with the assets. So you're seeing which email they did or didn't open, which post went over like gangbusters, what workshop headline was the thing that got the most opt-ins and those pieces being the best that they can be prior to then packing them up from launch and unpacking them for evergreen is going to up your conversion rate faster to circle back to the beginning. And that's going to get you you know, from 5% up to 10% conversion. So you can turn on the traffic faucet in three months versus six months, which is going to speed up your scale. And so if you don't launch first to get the valuable data in a way that's going to be faster than if you're like, I don't know, maybe it's a subject line in the evergreen funnel. And then you've got a two week waiting process to have enough people opt in to know if it was a subject line, you're going to be able to make more money and serve more people in a more efficient way. So once you, one, two, three times launch, and that could be one time if it goes over flawlessly, does not have to be a minimum of three then you evergreen. That doesn't mean you never launch the offer again because Black Friday comes or it's your birthday or you just want to shake the tree a little bit because you have a few offers out now and you've only been launching the new ones and you're ready to kind of say, hey, my signature program is still here and it's still awesome. I'm going to go ahead and launch it. And when you launch it, even if it's been evergreen, you just pause the evergreen funnel, let everybody focus on that waiting game for open cart week during the launch and you sell it again. So you rotate strategically based off of what your audience needs to know and when, and you are the one in control of it. It doesn't mean I need new offers all the time. It just means I need to apply the proper sales tactic throughout the year. Totally. Yeah. And I think that really breaks it down in a way that feels really accessible because I think it almost is like that they're to war, like live launching versus evergreen funnel that people need to choose. And that one is so much easier, harder than the other when they really essentially are the same. It's just the timeliness factor is different. And as we wrap things up, I feel like as we're going into a new year, a lot of people are probably planning their launches, maybe going through their first launches. And as you mentioned, I think live launches specifically really get a rep for being exhausting and tiring, maybe not reaping the results that people want. So do you have like one tip that you can give people, um, if they're wanting to live launch better into the new year, but also do it in a non-draining way, what would you tell them? I would say the most important thing is to have your milestones and your ramp up really ascend on each other in the topic. So what I mean by that is let's say you're doing a six week ramp up. So from the first post to the open cart, you've got a six week time frame. The first thing you're going to do, and your audience doesn't know that you're ramping up. This is just for you as you're creating content. So the first thing you're going to do is say, Hey, I've got this new, sexy, exciting, free resource. Go ahead and grab it. I'm going to really promote it in all of my content all across all of my channels for this week to make sure I get a good influx of subscribers. And then I'm going to keep promoting it subtly for the next you know, three weeks until my next milestone hits. My next milestone is going to be a free workshop where I'm inviting everybody to come. I'm going to do two of them or come at different times and days. However, this is going to work best for my audience. And in this workshop, I'm going to teach you X, Y, and Z, which starts to build on the topic. And then there's one final thing, call it um, like a challenge. And this could be as simple as something that's pre-recorded, or it could be just over two or three days, or it can even just be on your close friends list. It doesn't need to be something that they opt in for and is done in Kajabi or course hoster. And so from there you do, um, you know, three days worth of 20 minutes of training and 10 minutes of housekeeping Q and a, and then here's your homework and they come back and they come back and then boom, the cart opens. Even though that kind of sounds like a lot, you're creating content anyways, you are going to be pumping out this much content. You're going to be going live and doing all of these things. Regardless, the most important thing is making sure that the free resource and the workshop, and then the three day challenge ascend on each other so that the topic it's one main piece of what does somebody need to know in order to be banging down the door, ready to buy your program. 
for example, with um, my program, Live Launch Academy, which teaches people how to launch. You can do this for any offer, but a huge focus for my audience's courses. So what I did was helped them in a five-day challenge map out their course curriculum. So now that this feels so much more tangible, they can't not get the strategy to release this thing. Otherwise, if I didn't have to help them do that, they could have been extraordinarily overwhelmed by the idea of like, yeah, I want to launch a course at some point, or I want to launch my next offer, but holy smokes, I don't even know where to start with getting all of this knowledge from pen to, from head to paper. And so I'm going to remove the objection through the process of my milestones, which is super exciting that we're going to map out this program and I'm going to give it away all for free. And then everybody says, whoa, if the free stuff is this good, how's the paid stuff? And then from there you say, okay, now go ahead and launch it. Here's the program for you. And you'll have people say, this was such a catnippy experience for me. I was so stoked along the way and you gave me so much that I can't see any other offer and I can't see any other solution if it's truly right for them. Of course, we do. We want to be persuasive for what they need, not manipulative. But now I can't see any other solution and you are the person for me and thank you because I don't know if I ever would have been ready to make this sort of an investment or to actually try a self-study program or a group program, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. And I feel like it probably got a lot of ideas flowing for everyone. This whole entire interview. Thank you for giving so many gems today. I mean, I was like, even thinking some ideas, so (laughs) I love it and definitely tell us where we can continue to learn from you, connect with you, check out your resources, your products, give us all the details. Of course. Well, thank you for having me. This has been so fun. And thank you guys for listening. I hope I didn't speak too fast. Uh, come and connect with me on Instagram. Of course, I am at the social bungalow. And like I said, I hang out there. It's always me. So if you want to chat, just come and shoot me a DM and I can either point you to the right guide or just talk a little bit about your business personally. And I know I also kind of fire hosed in a lot of random categories. And I have a lot of content that applies to launching evergreen funnels, content looping. So if any one of those things were super exciting, you can also say, Hey, heard you on Natasha's podcast, want to talk content looping, and I can point you to a right workshop or what have you. Perfect. Sounds great. And we will definitely link that in the show notes. Thanks for being on the show, Shannon. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you loved the gem shared. Be sure to check out any of the important links I mentioned in the episode show notes. Don't forget to follow the show to be the first to know when our next episode airs. If you loved what you heard, I'd so appreciate it if you left us a review as it really helps support the show. I love seeing your takeaways from the episode over on the gram. So be sure to tag me in your stories at shine with Natasha. Remember, regardless of where you're at in your entrepreneurship journey, there's always room for your biz to shine. See you next time.